Luke chapter 13, beginning with verse number 10. If you're there, say, I'm there. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could no wise lift up herself. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loose from your infirmity. And he laid hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days in which men ought to work. Therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath. And the Lord answered and said to him, said to them, Hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox and his donkey from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound low these eighteen years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he had spoken these things, his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that was done by him. Father, we thank you for your word today, and I pray that your word would go forth in power, and your word would go forth in boldness, and everything that's said and everything that's done would bring you the glory, and everyone shouted a great big amen. Everybody say amen. There are four levels of study to any Jewish rabbi. Since I went to Israel, I, 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 uh, I know this for a fact, that uh, they were talking about different levels of study that you can study the scriptures. And when a Jewish rabbi begins to study a scripture, you know what he'll begin to do? He takes a scripture, he reads over it, and then he sees how that particular verse is applicable to their life. And I believe that that's what I'm going to do this morning. I want to read this passage of Scripture, and I want you to see how this Scripture relates to your life in the time and the season of your life that you are in today. Um, I want you to look at Luke chapter 13. The Bible gives us a description of this woman who is sick for 18 years. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this woman is not sick for a few days. This woman is not sick for a few years. This woman is not sick for a few months. The Bible says this woman had been sick for 18 long years. Now, I don't know about you, but that is sickness. That is a struggle. That is a crisis to be sick that long. And, and, and she was so sick, the Bible says, gives us a description that this woman could not even lift herself up to see what's going on. So in other words, this woman was so sick that the Bible describes that she had been bent over for 18 years. I want you to think about it, ladies and gentlemen. Think about being so sick to the point where you could not even lift yourself up to have a conversation with someone in the eyes. You know what? When I'm talking to someone, I like to look at them in the eyes. I don't want them to be distracted or looking down because I don't think you're paying attention. But when I'm communicating with you, I want to look at you in your eyes. Can you imagine this woman being so sick to the point that she couldn't even lift herself up to have a normal conversation with the people that's around her? The Bible gives a description that this woman is sick to the point that she couldn't lift up. The Bible gave a description that not only was this woman sick, but the Bible says that this woman was a daughter of Abraham. Now, she's sick, but she is a believer in God. She is ill. She, she's in a struggle, but she is a believer in God. She has a covenant with God. The Bible also says in verse number 10 that not only is this woman sick, not only is this woman bent over, 
But the Bible says she's a believer in God and she is going to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. You see, the synagogue was a place of worship. So this woman, I hope that you understand what I'm saying here. This woman is sick. This woman is struggling. This woman is barely making it. And yet the Bible tells us that she has a covenant with God and she is attending a place of worship. I'm going to say that again. She's struggling in God. She's bent over. She's barely making it. But yet the Bible tells us that she is going to a place of worship. Can I hear an amen this morning? This scripture tells me that sometimes, even though you are a believer in God, that sometimes you've got to go to the house of God in spite of the way you feel. Hallelujah. Did you hear me? Sometimes you've got to go to the house of God in spite of the way that you feel. Sometimes you've got to go through a period of pressure of worshiping God up under stress. This woman was going to worship but this woman was struggling. This woman was praising God, but the woman was struggling. This woman was giving her alms, but she's struggling. Am I talking to anybody in the building this morning? Have you ever struggled and yet come to the house of God? She's giving all that she knows to give, but at the same time, she's struggling to make it. I want to let you know today that if you are struggling, you are at the right place at the right time. Somebody say amen. This woman is barely making it but the Bible tells me she is a believer in God and she is worshiping God on the Sabbath hallelujah I believe this woman came to the house of God and said in spite of my affliction in spite of my suffering in spite of my condition I know that I'm handicapped I know I'm disfigured I know that I'm bent over but in spite of all of that you are still God you are still Jehovah Jireh you're still my healer you're still the son of God I may be struggling but I'm still going to worship you in the house of God this woman is struggling. This woman is barely making it. She realized that her worship is not conditioned on her. Her worship is not conditioned on how she felt. But her worship was dependent upon a decision. I want you to see something this morning, and I don't want you to lose it. The Bible says that this woman had come for 18 years. 18 years. I'm not talking about a few days. I'm not talking about a few months. I'm not talking about a few hours. The Bible says for 18 long years, she had a spirit of infirmity. And I want to say this, and I want to say it loud and clear, that it's a terrible thing to consider, that you can come to the house of God and leave the same way that you came. It's a terrible thing to come to the house of God year after year and leave the same way that you came. It's a horrible condition to come to a place of worship and yet leave the same way that you came. Come on, somebody. This woman came for 18 years and she left the same way that she came. For 18 years, she came sick and for 18 years, she left sick. For 18 years, she came bound and 18 years, she left bound. 18 years, she came depressed and 18 years, she left depressed. Year after year and day after day and Sabbath after Sabbath, she came for 18 years and she left with the same condition. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe that that is the tyrant of religion. 
Religion teaches us that any time, any time we become so in love, let me say this, any time we become so in love with our traditions and our ceremonies, instead of loving people, then we are in trouble. Anytime we love our systems and our structures and we love the format and we love the crowd instead of the cloud, did we get in trouble? Can I hear an amen? For 18 years she came sick and 18 years she left bound. And that is a tragedy when you are in the right place at the right time, but you are not getting the right result that you needed. For 18 years she came into a structure that was impotent to deliver her. For 18 years she was coming and yet there was no power of God to deliver her. You would say the Old Testament doesn't believe in the power of God but I would argue with you. They believed in the power of God and so for 18 years she left sick and 18 years she left bound and 18 years she left uh, depressed. It is a dilemma ladies and gentlemen that we would call ourselves spirit filled and Pentecostals and yet people leave the same way that they came. Is there anybody in the building that still believes that there is power to save and power to heal and power to deliver and power to raise the dead hallelujah she came and she left the same way she came to church or is it true that we become so in love with our ceremonies year after year that we miss the needs that's in the church pew we love the lights and we love the crowd and we love the hype but we don't see the needs that's sitting in the seats this morning. Let me, as I look around this audience this morning, there are needs. So many needs. There's a plethora of needs. So many needs that I cannot solve. I cannot help. But it's a tragedy that we would come to the house of God year after year and week after week and month after month and you leave the same way that you came. Do you know why that happens? Because there is no more power in our church services anymore. There's no more power in our sermons. There's no more power in our singing anymore. We have taught our people how to dance to the right beat. We've, we've taught our people how to cry without make, messing up our makeup. We've, we've taught people how to shout to the right appropriate song and, and to say hallelujah when it's appropriate. But ladies and gentlemen, it's a tragedy for us to come to the house of God and leave the same way that we came. It's a tragedy. This woman came to the house of God for 18 years and she left the same way she came. That spirit of infirmity was on her back. Spirit came to church on her back like a monkey sitting on the shoulder of a street comedian. Year after year she came and she left. Let me say something to you. Anytime the devil goes unchallenged in your life, he will begin to set up roots in your life. If you don't challenge the devil, if you don't challenge his authority to be in your life, he will begin to set up roots in your life and nothing will ever change if you don't challenge things. 
if you don't start challenge your stinking thinking, and you don't start challenge the mess in your life, if you don't stand up to it, the enemy is going to move in and he's going to plant a garden and sit on your lazy boy and eat your Cheetos and make himself at home in your house. But is there anybody in the building, you're tired of making room for the devil and you need to send an eviction notice to the devil and tell the devil, if i got to get up and run around this building and take my Bible and hit you between the eyes, you ain't staying in my house. You've got to come to a place in your life that you begin to challenge things in your life. Quit being weak about it. Quit being passive about it. Stand up and challenge. Yet this woman for 18 years came and she was had a spirit of infirmity which caused her to be paralyzed and bent over. She didn't challenge the right of the Spirit. She didn't question the right of the Spirit. She lived with it as if it was normal. And how many of us live with things that ought to be rebuked? How many live with things that ought to be challenged? But you have lived with it for so long that it is normal to your life. The struggle is normal. The conflict is normal. You don't think about challenging it and standing up to it because it has weighed you down to the point that you accept it as a part of your life. And this woman accepted it as a part of her life because it was there for so long. Anytime the enemy goes without being challenged, he will wear you down to the point you begin to believe that it is normal and to be accepted. I've lived like this for so long. I've, I've dealt with it for so long that he convinces you that it is normal. He convinces you that your struggle is normal. Some of us have been in struggle for so long, we get uncomfortable when there's not a struggle. We, 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 have, we have fought for so long that, that if there's not a fight and if there's not a struggle, it's abnormal to us. That's the way the woman felt. For 18 years, she wrestled with it. 18 years, she left with it. And nobody in the building challenged it. Nobody in the building said, come here, woman, let me pray for you. Nobody in the building recognized that this thing should be rebuked. You know why they didn't recognize it? Because she lived with it for so long that she accepted it as normal and it was just a part of her life. They're used to seeing you broke. They're used to seeing you struggle. They're used to seeing you depressed. It's a part of your life. Nobody thought anything different. Isn't it a tragedy, folks, for us to struggle so much all the time that people accept it as normal part of our life and we never see beyond the struggle to victory? Are you hearing this preacher this morning? Have we struggled for so long that we can't see the victory any longer? We can't see our way out any longer. We can't see the light at the end of the tunnel any longer because the enemy has worn us down to the point that we accept it as a part of our life. He plays mind games with us. It's kind of like 
Moses sent spies into the promised land and sent 12 spies and said, spy out the land. You know the story. Two of them came back with a good report and 10 of them came back with a bad report. Isn't, isn't, that, isn't that the mind? You got, you got the spies in your mind, don't you? You got two spies telling you positive things and 10 of you telling you negative things and that's the battle every day. The battle of the 12 spies in your mind. Two of them is telling you a good report and 10 of you is saying the negative. And you live every day with the spies arguing back and forth in your mind and you have been worn down to the place that you accepted as normal. And the Bible says they accepted the negative report of the 10. Why is it that we accept the negative report and not the two positive report? Why is it that we accept struggle instead of fighting for victory? Why is it that we live in defeat instead of lifting our head up and seeing our help cometh from the name of the Lord? Why is it that we are so accustomed to accept the negative report and to accept defeat in order for us to fight for victory? Because that's what the enemy does. Diablos. The Greek word for the word devil is throw. And that's what he does. The devil throws things at your mind Day in and day out. He throws things, isn't he? Diablos, to throw. The accuser of the brethren. He throws things at your mind. Day in and day out. Why is he throwing things at your mind? So he can make a penetration in your heart and penetration in your spirit. That is why Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, he said, no, 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 no. You're not going to penetrate my heart. Jesus picked up the word of God and he began to throw the word of God back at the enemy. If you're going to make it in the battle, you've got to learn to throw back the word of God at the enemy. Diablos to throw and our mind listens to the ten spies who are negative instead of the two spies who are positive the enemy just constantly throws things and this woman in this passage for so long lived under the umbrella of infirmity that she could no way imagine herself being free. Have you ever imagined yourself being better than you are? Have you ever imagined yourself being freer than you've ever been? Have you ever imagined yourself walking in victory more than you've ever walked in victory before? Or are you so accustomed to defeat and struggle that you can never lift up your head? This woman was so accustomed to it that she couldn't even lift up her head. It's no wonder the Spirit said to David, you are the glory and you are the lifter of my head. David was in the valley of depression. David was in the valley of despair. But he realized something that this is not the final. This is the scene and this is not the story. This is not how I'm going to go out. This is just a part of the chapter and this is not the book. And I've come to let you know today the enemy wants to put a period but God's brought a spiritual eraser and he's put a comma. It's just a chapter of the book. It is not the whole book. It is a scene and not the story this morning. Hallelujah. She lived in a crisis. It's a crisis. It's a crisis that she came and left the same way she came. 
It's a crisis that we would just go on with our rituals as people are hurting in our seats. John Wesley, the great revivalist of the 18th century, said, I, I do not fear that the people called Methodist would ever cease to exist in Europe or America, but what I do fear, the people would deny the power thereof and become a dead sect. Could it be that our churches have become so accustomed to struggle and defeat and oppression that we always keep our head down, even in worship. I, I thought this woman was going to church. She was leaving the same way she came. was a crisis. But then I thought, what was the turning point that this woman who was oppressed for 18 years and sick for 18 years all of a sudden became well? I mean, what happened? I mean, what was the transition that caused this woman who was sick for 18 years and all of a sudden she gets well? The Bible says that Jesus came into the building and looked at the woman. Is that right? And the Bible says he called the woman to himself. And Jesus saw her and said to him, said to her, Woman, you're loosed from your spirit of infirmity. And the next verse says, verse 13, And he laid hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Now, what was the transition? I mean, how can you be sick for so long and then all of a sudden get healed? Now, this is not deep, but this is worth pondering. Could it be that the reason the, mo the, reason the woman got healed is because Jesus showed up in the worship service? Maybe, uh, maybe we're not connecting here. I said maybe the reason the woman got healed was because Jesus showed up in their worship service. And could it be that we can go through the emotions so much and the ritual so much that Jesus is not really present in our worship services? Can somebody help this preacher preach a little bit? Could it be that we can go through our rituals and say our prayers and sing our songs and Jesus is really not here, He's not present, but we're so used to being bound and sick and depressed, we don't even know whether He's here or not because we lived in the same mess for all these years. We are mess-oriented instead of spirit-oriented. We are... We are defeat-oriented and poverty-oriented. Our head are hanging down. We, don't, we, we can't look up. We can't discern whether He's here or not. But I promise you, 
When Jesus makes an entrance into the sanctuary, when Jesus becomes present in the sanctuary, we don't have to sing a song again. The preacher doesn't have to preach harder. Come on, somebody. When the power of God is present, it is present to heal and deliver and save. Never have church without Jesus. I don't care if you've got stained glass windows and you've got, the, you've got a six-foot icicle in the pulpit. Don't, don't you dare have church without Jesus. Is there, is there about 50 people in the building say, Pastor, I agree with you. I don't want to have church without Jesus. I've tried to have church without him, and I don't want to have church without Jesus any longer. It's when he showed up. He looked at the woman and said, Woman, woman, come here, come here, come here, come here. You are loosed from that spirit of infirmity. And I promise you, some of the junk that goes on in your life and the junk that goes on in churches, it doesn't need to be sweeped under the carpet. You need to be like Jesus and call it out and say it is a spirit of infirmity. We get so passive nowadays. We say, well, that's just how Johnny is. That's just how Sally is. No, it's a spirit is what it is. It's a spirit trying to divide the church. It's a spirit that's trying to divide a marriage. It's a spirit that's trying to oppress people. It's a spirit that's trying to... We need to stand up and get a little tenacity about us and call it for what it is. It is a spirit. It's not how they just act. It is a spirit. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against, we, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness of this world. You know why you're still in the mess that you're still in? Because you're trying to negotiate with the devil instead of taking authority over it and telling it, you're not going to control me. You're not going to defeat me. I'm not going to be sick. I'm not going to be bound. I rise up above this thing and I'm going to be victorious in his name. Get a little bit of tenacity in you and quit being a wimp. Stand up. Put your big boy pants on and say enough is enough. I refuse to be bound. I refuse to be oppressed. I refuse to walk in this attitude any longer. I am a child of the Most High and I will walk in the authority that he's given me. I'm so tired of weak-kneed Christianity. Oh, I... I can't come to church because I'm tired. Well, who cares? Who ain't tired? Who don't have problems? After I've been to Israel and realized they pray for hours every day, it really just makes us look like we're really weak, don't it? You can do more than what you're doing. You make priority for what you make priority for. Now, you can make excuses and say whatever you want to say, but you really just make priority for what you make priority for. I went to Cracker Barrel last Sunday because we didn't have church. I look around Cracker Barrel, didn't stop people from getting on the ice going to Cracker Barrel. Y'all hearing me? Now, I'm glad I, it, was, it was the elders' decision. I canceled, we, we needed to cancel church because of the parking lot. I agree with it 100%. My point is, isn't it interesting? We just make priority for what we want to make priority for. Now, I wouldn't have had church anyway, but you, get, you understand my point. We couldn't have done it because of safety issues. But you see that people will just, if they really want to do it, if they really want to do it, 
They'll do it. They really will. It's a crisis that the woman came and left the same way she came. And the Bible says, in closing, Jesus said, clear woman, you are loosed from that spirit. And then the Bible says, look, 13, he laid hands on her. Verse 13, laid hands on her. She glorified God. Now hold on, verse 14. Now guess what happens? But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. Hold on. Here is this woman that was sick for 18 years. She gets healed and the religious people get upset. Isn't it interesting that nobody gets upset with you as long as you need help? But the moment you start driving your new car to church, they start to roll their eyes. Come on, somebody. Hey, you get the point. <laughs> uh, the, the moment that you need help with the groceries and you need help with the baby, that you're, you're okay, you fit in the group. But the moment you start to succeed a little bit, everybody gets an attitude with you and says, well, who do you think you are? But they all got upset with the woman. And you know what they said? Go ahead back to the scripture. They got upset and they said, he said, there's six days to do this. Why are you healing today? <laughs> Jesus, don't do this today. Let's do it some other day. Verse 15, the next scripture. So they all got upset. But the Lord answered and said to them, you hypocrite. Now hold on here. Are y'all ready for this? I said, are you ready for this? I, I'm going to tell y'all something, okay? Get this. Luke 13, and I want you to see what happens here. You've got to look at the wording here. Ready? Verse 12, look at verse 12. He, she was made straight and she glorified God, right? Everybody says she glorified God. What, what was she doing? She was what? She was what? So she's praising God. She's got healed. Verse 14 says, the critics got upset with her. Verse 15 said, the Lord answered. If it was the modern church, this is what we would do. The Lord would heal us. We start glorifying God, and then we start to tell our critics off. Well, let me just tell you why I'm blessed. Because you don't know the hell I've been through. You know, we start telling people why we're blessed. And why God did what God did. But nowhere in this scripture does this woman defend herself. She didn't stop praising God to go defend herself to the critics. Because you know what happens when you begin to praise God and glorify God? God will answer the critics for you. Did y'all just hear what the preacher said? I said when you praise God, God will answer the critics for you. Just keep your mouth shut. Go ahead and lift your hands and go ahead and praise God and go ahead and bless God. And as you're blessing God, he's going to answer the critics for you. You don't have time to go and defend yourself to everybody that don't like you. 
The Lord answered the critics. It's interesting. The prodigal son got upset. The brother got upset because the father threw a party for the prodigal son. You've got to learn to have a party when people refuse to attend the party. You've got to learn to celebrate and rejoice and be secure in who you are in Christ, whether people are for you or against you. You have the crisis. What is the crisis? She came for 18 years and left the way she came. You have the critics. Those who rolled their eyes at the woman and became upset with the woman. But now you have the Christ. You have the crisis. You have the, the critics. You have the Christ. The Christ. This story centers around Christ. He walked in to the synagogue and healed the woman. Ladies and gentlemen, for the first three and a half centuries of the early church, the early church scratched their head. Why did they scratch their head in unbelief, in confusion? Because the early church was Jews. And the early church who was made up of primarily Jews, believed that there was only one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob. What are you supposed to do with this Jesus? Is Jesus God or is Jesus man? Is He the same as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob? What do you do with this Jesus? For 300 years, they debated the issue. They scratched their head and tried to come up with formulas and creeds to bring the correlation and a collaborative response of who this man really is. And that is the question in the 21st century. Who do you say He is? Jesus said to Peter, Who do you say that I am? Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're the prophet Elisha. Some say you're Jeremiah. But I say you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You see, for years, we have put our faith in formulas. We have put our faith in principles. We have put our faith in people. We have put our faith in buildings. We have put our faith in money. And yet this story teaches us that you've got to put your faith in a person. You don't put your faith in faith. Don't put your faith in faith. It's not faith that delivers you. It's faith in a person that delivers you. The crisis was that she remained sick for so long. The critics wasn't happy for her. They criticized her. But she understood that I'm going to let the Lord answer the critics for me. But then you have the Christ. He is the climax. 
He is the center of this story. He was human. He sympathized with her pain. But he was God to deliver her. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, we serve the greatest man ever known to the human race. He is God. He can sympathize with us. And at the same time, He can deliver us. He is God and He is man at the same time. He is the greatest man in history. He had no servants, and yet they called him master. He had no degree, and yet they called him teacher. He had no medicine, and they called him the healer. He had no army, and yet the kings of the earth fear him. He had no military victory, and yet he has conquered the world. He committed no crime, and yet they crucified him. He was buried in a rich man's tomb, and yet he lives today. I'm saying to you, Christ is the climax of this story. Let's preach Jesus in our churches again. Let's not do some self-help book, but let's put Jesus at the center of our worship. He is our master. He is our healer. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is my all in all. He is the wheel in the middle of the wheel. He is the scapegoat. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the rose of Sharon. He is altogether lovely. He is the bright and morning star. Jesus Let's put him back in the church. Let's put Jesus back in the church. You put this man in a storm. He'll command the winds and the waves to be still. You put this man on a cross. And he'll open heaven up for a dying thief. You put him in a grave. And he'll walk out three days later singing there ain't no grave going to hold my body down. You put him in a court of judgment and the verdict will be as I find no fault in him. This man, he never founded a college. But there has never been so many colleges that bear his name. He never founded a hospital. But there are more hospitals named after him and his apostles than any other hospitals in the world. He never organized a religion. But Christianity is one of the fastest growing religions in the world. He is the climax. He is the answer to humanity. You say, but preacher, I already know this. But as long as there's breath in my body, i got to declare that Jesus must be the center of this church. Jesus must be the center of your life. Jesus must be the center of everything. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Is there any Jesus lovers today? I said is there any Jesus lovers today? 
is there anybody baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire that's going to declare the gospel of this living man? Jesus. Muslims will stand up and tell you, go fast. During the holy month of Ramadan, Allah will help you. Hindus will tell you go and give a gift to our priest. One of our 33 million gods will help you. Buddhism bring a gift to the priest and push the prayer wheel. Our gods will help you. But Christianity for 2,000 years from pulpits like this and underground churches and storefront churches, we have declared, come just the way you are and our God will help you in all of your sin and all of your mess and all of your brokenness. Come just the way you are. And it is no wonder the writer said, there's never been a man like this man. Never been a man. Hallelujah. The critics, the crisis, but the Christ. Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for your love today. And thank you for your grace today.